the kids are headed to the back and hope you have a great time in children's church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be saved by your grace. And we come before you today opening your word because we believe your word is truth. We believe it is inspired by you and it is perfect. It is holy. And we trust your spirit now to take these ancient words and apply them to our hearts today. We know that the human heart has not changed. Our condition is the same as the condition of human beings thousands of years ago. And you are the answer today, just like you were then. And so we pray that you'll speak to us now. And if there are decisions we need to make for you, to give our life to you, to rededicate our lives to you, however you would lead us, we pray that you will use this time to bring us to where we need to be. Give us openness and willingness to hear and to obey. And bless our children and those who are sharing your love with them. And we pray in due season, in due time, that each one will come to put their faith in you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and look at Psalm 130. It's not a long psalm, but there's a lot here. And it's all focused on those two verses that we read together earlier. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4 in particular. If the Lord marked iniquities. If the Lord marked iniquities. Who could stand? Well, of course, the answer is no one could. None of us could. But this psalm has great news. Look at Psalm 130, and I'm going to read the eight verses. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities if the Lord should mark iniquities we should never become so familiar with God that we lose sight that he is God just how holy and majestic and awesome and other he is I fear that sometimes in our emphasis to try to to, to draw people to God and we talk so much about God being our friend and God being close to us. And that's true. But we can lose a sense uh, that we are not on the same plane with God. We don't sit in judgment of God. And the more familiar you feel with God, 
the more you feel like you're just about like him, then you can lose a sense of who he really is. This psalmist did not lose a sense of who God is, and neither should we. This psalm brings us back to a clear understanding of the holiness of God, but also the mercy of God, his great love for us. This psalm, along with a number of others, were likely sung by pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem, or sung a step at a time on what were believed to be the 15 steps that rose between the court of the Gentiles and the court of Israel in the temple. That's why it says a song of ascents. And so these were psalms that were sung by the people as part of their worship, as they were moving toward God, approaching God. And as is always or should always be the case, uh, when we come into the presence of God, it should make us aware of our own sinfulness and God's holiness. And so that's what we see expressed here. The first two verses remind us we all have a terrible thing in common. All of us. We all have a terrible thing in common. You know, they talk about unity, that we all need to be unified. Well, we are unified. We all have one terrible thing in common. Every human being. We're sinners. We're fallen. Every single one of us. But that's not the thing people want to admit. They don't want to admit we're unified in that. They want to act like we're not sinners, but we are. Look what the psalmist says. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications, my petitions, my crying out to you. Out of the depths I have cried. The psalmist was fully aware of his condition, and we should be too. And that's what leads into this question of verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, the word iniquity is an old theological word that means sin. If you, Lord, should mark my sins, did you ever play a card game or tic-tac-toe or something And uh, whoever was keeping score, they'd have a pad of paper there and they'd make a mark. Every time there was a point, they'd make a mark. If you, O Lord, kept a record of my sins. If you, O Lord, made a mark every time I sinned. If you, O Lord, were keeping score on my sins. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, sin. O Lord, who could stand? Out of the depths of what? Sin. The depths of an awareness of sinfulness that we have fallen short of the glory of God. The word here used for Lord is the word that spoke of Him in all of His awesome majesty. And so the psalmist is making clear that it's out of the depths of his understanding of his own sinfulness. He's crying out to the Lord who is awesome, who is holy, who is almighty, who is 
perfect and pure. That's who he knew he was coming before. When we come into the presence of God, he is other. He is other than we are. He is holy. He is eternal. And it should lead us to this great question. Oh Lord, what would happen if you kept a record of my sins? What would happen if I had to stand before you in all of my reality of who I am? What I've done, what I've said, what I've failed to do. What, what would happen? Who could stand? Who would be able to stand before God? No one. No one. And the psalmist is crying out about this terrible thing we have in common. We're all sinners. And when we come before God, we're all in that place, in that condition, in and of ourselves. We are sinful and God is not. And that's why Jesus came, right? He came to bridge that gap, that great gulf fixed between us and God by our sin. He bridged that gap. So that we could stand before God, not in our sinfulness, but in his righteousness, in his holiness. We fall short of the holiness and the perfection of God. Verse 3, that's what that verse really bears out. We fall short. Doesn't the Bible say that very plainly? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the awesomeness of God, the majesty of God, the holiness and perfection of God. The Bible says that God is perfectly good. There is no sin in Him. He has never failed, never fallen, but we have. And so we fall short of this holiness and perfection of God. We always fall below the glory and the perfection of God. Even in when we are doing our very best with God's help to be holy and to stand before him, we should never come to the place that we think we have achieved the kind of perfect holiness that God has in his very nature and in his character. Even our prayers are not perfect. Our worship is not perfect. But God wants us to come before him. But we should never fool ourselves, deceive ourselves into thinking that somehow we have achieved the level of holiness and righteousness that God himself has. The only righteousness we have is what we have been clothed in by the righteousness of Christ. And our standing before God is as if we never sinned. But that's not our doing, it's His doing. And so He deserves glory for that. Not, not us. We don't deserve any glory for our standing of righteousness before God because He has clothed us in His righteousness. And so even in our worship, we must always remember that God is so much greater, so much beyond who we are. And so the cry, if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? 
comes this great answer. Look at the answer in verse 4. But there is forgiveness. But. That's a big word sometimes. It's only three letters, but it's a huge word, isn't it? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. There is forgiveness with God. Now, that is unique because only God can forgive. Only God can, can fully and completely forgive. The law doesn't forgive. If you go to the Old Testament law, the law was never given as a means by which we can be forgiven. The law was there to show how broken we are, how sinful we are. It was preparing the way for, for Christ who would come and forgive us by His power and grace, by His sacrifice on the cross. The law does not forgive. The law says in Ezekiel 18, interpreting the law, the soul that sins shall die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. But there's another but there, B-U-T. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the law, the Ten Commandments, the whole law given by God, it just shows us how sinful we are. That's why it's, such, it's, so, it's so foolish for people to think that they can make themselves righteous before God by keeping the law. Because the law was never given for that purpose. It was given by God to show us that we have fallen short. And we need His help. And we can only be made right. It upholds the standard that God in His very character and nature sets. And therefore it shows us we are broken. We are sinful. And we need help to be able to come into relationship with God. And so... With the Lord, there is forgiveness, but not with the law. Also, conscience does not forgive. Your conscience will haunt you. People who don't know Jesus Christ in particular, they are haunted by their sin. They don't want to admit they're sinners, but they'll never get away from the reality that, that they have fallen short, that they're broken. <clears throat> and they try to fill their life with things that will help them to forget. But you see, conscience does not forgive unless it is entirely seared, which it can be. There are people who come to the place where they don't feel anything because their conscience is so seared by sin, so destroyed, disfigured. But people are aware deep within that something's wrong. And that's why they try to fill the emptiness with so many things. Your conscience, apart from God's forgiveness, will always point an accusing finger at you. And rightfully so. And then memory doesn't forgive. It's interesting in Luke chapter 16, I believe it is, Luke 16, 25, when Jesus was talking about the rich man and Lazarus. It says that Abraham 
<clears throat> said to the rich man in hell, Son, remember. Remember. <clears throat> remember that in your life you had good things, you were wealthy, and Lazarus was poor. Remember. Even in hell there was memory. And perhaps that's what will make hell as terrible as it is, along with all of the suffering and the torment, will be the remembering, the remembering of what could have been if you had only given your life to Jesus. Son, remember. Memory doesn't forgive, but with the Lord, there is forgiveness. And we should give thanks that God will forgive us he will forgive us. And so, verse 3 bears that out so clearly in verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Charles Spurgeon said, this comes into the soul, the forgiveness, after a full confession of sin. When you have knelt down before God and acknowledged your transgressions and your shortcomings and your heart is heavy and your soul is ready to burst with inward anguish, then you may hear, you may really hear this gracious word. But with the Lord there is forgiveness. When you have become conscious and aware of your sinfulness, then you are ready to be aware of the forgiveness of God and receive the forgiveness of God. A person who's never gotten lost will never get saved. You have to realize you're lost. You're sinful. And then you can receive this amazing forgiveness of God. The psalmist was fully aware of his sinfulness. And therefore he was able then to be fully aware of the awesome forgiveness of God. When you think about it, as one writer said, every characteristic of God is in this one attribute of forgiveness. The fact that He forgives those who are sinful out of His mercy and grace, His pity, His mercy, His compassion, His love, His salvation, His grace, it's all caught up in forgiveness. The fact that He forgives you. And he forgives me. Romans 5.20 For where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That's the forgiveness of God. There is forgiveness with God. And we should give thanks every day for that. When you think about the scripture, the most beautiful of all the parables. Perhaps the most precious of all. The, the prodigal son, the wayward son. It exemplifies this forgiveness of God. That the son went his own way. And when he came to himself and started back home, there was that father out at the end of the way. It says he had to have been watching for him. Because it says when he was still a far way off, he ran and fell on him and kissed him and welcomed him home. He had to be watching for him. He had to be waiting for him. That's the kind of forgiveness and love God has for us. That in spite of our sin, 
he is ready to forgive. We don't have to pull it out of him. He wants to forgive. He is ready to forgive. If we'll just come home, if we'll just move in his direction, he'll meet us there. And he'll take us home with him. There is forgiveness with God. And even Jesus on the cross itself, as he was ready to die, what did we find Jesus doing? Talking to that thief on the cross, forgiving a sinner who was dying beside him so that he could take him home. There is forgiveness with God, always ready to forgive. As beautiful as it could possibly be, the forgiveness of God. And then Simon Peter. Simon Peter, who loved Jesus, but failed him, sinned. <clears throat> Didn't even want to be mentioned as a follower of Jesus. Afraid. What did Jesus do after the resurrection? He sought him out so he could forgive him. So that he could restore him. That's the forgiveness of God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness with you. And then why does it say there is forgiveness? That you may be feared. That you, that God may be feared this forgiveness of god that is is so much to the extent that the scripture says that the lord doesn't even remember our sins anymore are you aware of that some of the most vivid of all the images of the bible are used to describe what god does with our sins micah 7:19 tells us he places them he casts them as it were, in the deepest part of the sea. That's what he does with your sin and mine. And then in Isaiah 44, 22, he blots them out like a thick cloud. Your sins, he blots them out. They're gone. And in Isaiah 43, 25, and also Hebrews 8, 12, he remembers them no more. God remembers your sin no more. So when he forgives, he really does forget. That's because he's God. Do you know the Bible never tells you and me to forgive and forget? It tells us to forgive. But I think unless we have some sort of defective mind or memory, it's impossible to fully forget all of the things that have happened to us. But we can forgive. But with God, he not only forgives, he forgets because he's God. He remembers them no more. Now, we remember our sins. We're more likely to remember the sins of other people. We remember other people's sins and we remember our sins. And we like to dredge them up. We like to bring them up with one another, with ourselves. And sometimes with God. Now, get this in your mind. God doesn't even remember your sin. He has blotted your sin out. And yet, after we've already been forgiven, 
How many times do we keep coming back to God, bringing up the sins that he's already forgiven us for? We keep dredging the same thing up. Asking God to forgive us of the same thing that he's already forgiven us for. Now, don't misunderstand me. If we continue to sin, if there's something we have done, we should confess our sin. But if you're constantly stuck on something you did 30 years ago that God has already forgiven you for, how ridiculous that we keep coming before God with something that he doesn't even remember because he's forgotten it. He has buried it. And we won't let it go. We should let it go. So that God can do a new thing. He can do what he wants to do in our lives today. He's not stuck on that thing that happened to us 40 years ago. Something we did. Something we said. Somebody else may be. But God is not. And as a follower of Jesus, we need to try to be more like God and not stay stuck on the sins that people have already confessed and been forgiven for. Don't keep bringing those things up to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your friends. Let them go. God has forgotten. They're buried. There is forgiveness with you. And that means something, that there is forgiveness with God. And then it should lead us to reverential worship. I'm not trying to use a 50-cent word there, reverential. But I think it's important for us to understand that the forgiveness of God does not mean that God is now our buddy. Or that he's the man upstairs. God is still God. The fact that he loves us and has forgiven us does not bring him down to our level. And it really does not lift us up to being God. It lifts us up to being sinners who have been saved by his marvelous grace. And when we come to God, we should always reverence him. And that's why the word is used here, that you may be feared Feared is the word the Bible uses. It's not saying we should be an abject terror of God as if God is evil or God is going to hurt us or God's going to do something terrible to us. The fear being spoken of here is a reverence for God, always recognizing him for his holiness and his majesty. And every time we come before God, privately or together with others, there should be this awesome sense of who God is. And we should worship Him fully understanding His nearness, but that He is still beyond us because He is God. We're not beyond His love or His grace, but in His nature, God is so much more than we are. And that makes His love and forgiveness that much more amazing. Why do I say that's important? I think people who fall into a sense of anger at God, blaming God, lecturing God, have lost a sense of the reverence of God. Because if you revere God for who he is, you don't feel you have any right to tell God what he ought to do. You are too big for your britches, as my parents would say. 
if you start lecturing God. You're not on that level. Our worship of God should always remember who he is and who we are. We are to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and never forget who he is and what he has done for us. The great hymn that we sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I stand amazed in the presence. And then I close with the words of this Isaac Watts hymn. There's an old hymn. I don't know that the tune is very good. When God revealed his gracious name. But the words are good. When God revealed his gracious name and changed my mournful state, my raptures seemed a pleasing dream. The grace appeared so great. The world beheld the glorious change and did thy hand confess. My tongue broke out in unknown strains and sung surprising grace. The Lord can clear the darkest skies, can give us day for night, make drops of sacred sorrow rise to rivers of delight. The Lord can clear the darkest skies. When God forgives you, he clears the darkest sky away and gives you day for night. And that's why then the psalmist, forgiven and coming before God with, with reverence and awe, then he says, I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. He says it repeatedly. I wait for the Lord. We realize that we have nowhere else to turn but to him, to God. And there's no better place to turn because God does not mark our iniquities. Instead, he gives us freely his wonderful forgiveness. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this great psalm. And may this be our heart's cry. May we always remember our sinfulness, but give thanks to you, Lord, for your forgiveness. And as you forgive and forget our sin, Lord, help us to be focused on who you are and wait for you, knowing that you are always faithful and that your love will never end. If there's someone here today, Lord, who needs to make a commitment to you, maybe someone here today is fully aware that they are sinners. They have failed. They have fallen short of your glory. And they want to be forgiven. May this be the moment that they simply come to you and call on your name and trust you and ask you to forgive. We know you will be faithful to do your mighty work of love and forgiveness. We want your will to be done in these moments. There may be other decisions that need to be made. You lead us, Lord. And whatever you desire, may we be obedient right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Let's stand.